Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, good morning. Glad you're here today. You know, um, I was shocked at how many national how many national days there are, how many national holidays there are. I was just blown away by it. And um, so I did a little research and I came up, these are the ones just in the last few days. December the 5th is National Ninja Day. I didn't see that coming. Y'all are slow, that is, I mean, it's cause it's Ninja Day. Of course you didn't see it coming. <clears throat> December the 6th is Microwave Oven Day. Seriously. All right. Uh, I like this one. December the 8th is pretend to be a time traveler day. You're supposed to dress like you're from another period and speak a gibberish language. So people, you know, you pretend like you're from another time. Uh, this is the best one. December the 16th is official chocolate cover anything day. Now, I wish that would catch on a little bit more. Um, now, today, December the 18th. That's today. It's National Wear a Plunger on Your Head Day. I'm just glad that one didn't catch on. Uh, I did find one back in the bathroom here, and I was tempted to bring it out, and I said, no, I'm not going to do that. Then, of course, December the 23rd, for all you Seinfeld uh, fans, it's Festivus for the Rest of Us Day. So I hope you have your poll and you're ready for the airing of grievances. So, So we've been preparing ourselves for Christmas by, well, two weeks ago, we talked about deep hurts in our lives. And then last week, we talked about our damaged emotions. So today, I want us to continue to prepare ourselves for Christmas um, by talking about an event that happened actually after the Christmas story. And it's in Matthew chapter 2. It's the story about the wise men. And... um, it, you know, we always say the three wise men, but you know, that's not recorded in scripture anywhere. There are three gifts, and maybe we just decided it was the three wise men because there were three gifts. And then we have that song, We Three Kings of Orient. You know, you grew up singing that song. Uh, the reality is just three gifts. We have no idea how many guys were a part of this group. You know, it was more than one because it was plural, but it could have been a lot. I don't I mean, it just doesn't tell us. Uh, but this is, um, it, we're going to look at some of the obje- objections people have about Christ. And uh, so let, let's look at this story in Matthew chapter 2, beginning of verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands, we don't know where, because that's really not the point of the story, right? So it doesn't matter. If the, if the Bible doesn't give you some information, it's because it, you don't need to know. It's no big deal. And uh, they arrived in Jerusalem. And so they, these guys, they saw this divinely appointed star, and they figured that it meant something and they were looking for something bigger, something greater. And, and so, it, you know, in fact, in Romans, it tells us that even nature makes us without excuse when it comes to that there's a God. Then in verse 2, it says, when they got to Jerusalem, they were asking, where is the newborn 
king of the Jews. We saw his stars as it rose, and we have come to worship him. We, have no, we don't even have any idea what that star was. I mean, we, we just don't know. It doesn't matter. It, it could have been an angel. It could have been a meteor. I mean, it could have been lots of things. It doesn't matter. It's the fact of where the star was taking him. See, a lot of times we focus on the stuff rather than what the stuff points us to, and it points us to Jesus. Now, they were there, and they were talking to Herod, the current king of Israel, and um, they didn't realize that Herod was a psychopath. I mean, really, the guy's crazy. And he was paranoid about losing his power. So the Bible says in verse 3, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. Yeah, I mean, the king of the Jews, he's, he's going to take my, I'm the king of the Jews. And, and so, every, so was everybody else in Jerusalem. I mean, it got everybody's attention because everybody knew about the prophecy. So he called a meeting, Herod, with the leading priest and the teachers of religious law because they're the experts. And he said, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? So he understood that this is the Messiah from God. And so they said, well, in Bethlehem. And he said, for this is what the prophet wrote, verse 6, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are not least among the ruling cities of Judea. For a ruler will come from you, from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. So then Herod, he calls for a private meeting with his wise men. You know, usually when the king had a meeting, there were all these people in the court. You know, there were a lot of people around. So he called for a little private meeting, just him and, and, and the, these wise guys. And, uh, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. So then he said, all right, I want you to go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child, and then when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Yeah, right. And, uh, and of course, he lied because he has one thing in mind. He wants to kill the baby. That's what he's out to do. I can't have somebody coming and taking my job. And because, uh, you know, obviously Herod didn't see himself as the shepherd of his people. He was the taker of his people. He just took everything he wanted, got as much as he wanted, and lived his lavish, perverse lifestyle. So after this interview, verse 9, the wise men went their way, and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. And it went ahead of them. So, yeah, this, this star was pretty amazing. And it stopped over the place where the child was. So they found Jesus. And uh, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. I mean, they'd been on a long journey. We don't know how long, but it probably been a significant journey. In fact, Jesus wasn't a little baby by the time they found him. You know, I mean, he might have been a year old, two years old. We don't know. But uh, he was not a little baby at this time. 
And, and then in verse 11, it says they entered the house. That kind of gives me a clue that, yeah, that some time has passed because when Jesus was born, it, it we're told he was born in a stable. And back then, a stable was probably a cave. In fact, you can go to Bethlehem now and you'll find caves all over the place. And uh, they can go to this place called the Shepherd's Field where they would keep their sheep. And there are all these caves, large caves in there. And, and so chances are Jesus was born in a cave, but now he's in a house. So it kind of gives me an idea that maybe he's been there a while and their family was finally able to get a place to actually live. And they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. Now, these guys had been warned in a dream by an angel that Herod, Herod was a bad guy and that he was out to kill Jesus. So they took a different path home, avoiding Herod altogether. Now, when Herod finds out, finds out what they did, he went crazy. And instead of just going after Jesus, they decided, you know what? I know, he's, I know Jesus is under the age of two, so I'm just going to send my guys to Bethlehem, and we're going to kill every male child two years and younger. This guy was crazy. He died with a lot of innocent blood on his hands. I want to tell you, Herod, when he left his kingdom in, in Jerusalem, he went to another place. And he's still there, still suffering, still suffering 2,000 years later for his sins. He's still there, still suffering. And he's going to be there for all eternity, all eternity. Now, my personal opinion uh, well, the Bible tells us an angel warned Mary and Joseph uh, to leave because Herod was out with, with blood on his, you know, I'm going to kill this child. So they flee to Egypt. Now, my personal opinion, the Bible doesn't say this. I'm thinking, you know, these gifts that were brought to them, that's what they lived off of. God provided maybe through these gifts the resources they would need to go live in a foreign country. Now, Joseph had his trade, and he could work, but still, to travel to another country, you had to have resources. And so maybe that's why God put it on these guys to bring these gifts. I don't know. It's just my opinion. But here, here's, what, here's what I see. In this chapter, I see these guys, these wise men, searching. They're searching for God or something in the stars. Now, the story's not advocating astrology, it's just giving you a picture that some guys, who knew, they knew that there was something out there bigger than them, and they wanted to know what it was. I mean, this, this is kind of like most people, right? It's like deep inside, you know that there's something out there. You know that there's, the Bible says, again, in Romans, we're without excuse. <clears throat> you know just because of nature that there's something far beyond you. And we, we all look for what that thing is in so many different places. 
I, I mean, the reality is we want a sense of security, right? We, we want to feel secure. We want to feel protected. We want to, we want to feel safe. We want to be fulfilled. We want to be satisfied. We want to satisfy our soul's deepest thirst. We want, we want significance. We want our lives to matter. We want our lives to have eternal value. And, and I think that's why some people strive so hard to gain stuff or to say to get money. But even, even when they get resources and they get money, then they worry about losing it. So really, instead of them having money, money has them. Because they worry about keeping it. Some people search for these things in romance. Uh, they think if I just have the right relationship, a person who loves me and loves me for who I am, then I'll be fulfilled, I'll be satisfied. And then uh, that grows weary and that grows tired and you look for two more arms to fall into with someone else. Some of us, we want to we touch glory. We, we want... We want something that is so beautiful that it takes our breath away. And that's why some of you, you know, when you see a sunset or a sunrise that's so breathtaking, your, the pictures you take with your camera and post does not do it justice, right? You've got to witness it personally. Or when you're in the mountains, you're just overwhelmed at the glory of God. Or looking at the stars at night, it just consumes you. Some people look for glory in power, position, and status. Some crave it. They crave it and they want to be united with it. So my first point today, what you're looking for in life was born in a manger 2,000 years ago. In verse 10 again, it says, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. What they had been looking for, they had found. There was, there was joy beyond anything that they could experience any other way. The, the greatest quest of their lives, they've now, they've now reached it. And this glory, well, it's so overwhelmed them. They fell down and they worshipped this child. And they opened up their treasure boxes and freely gave of their wealth because they were, they felt so worthless <laughs> compared to this child. And, and their wealth seemed like nothing compared to this child. I mean, he was the glory. He was the security they were looking for. He was the significance that their souls were craving that their souls were made for, that your soul was made for, significance. Your, your soul was made for that. And some of you have sensed that. You know, money, money is elusive. You know, people, they, they get it, they try to hang on to it. And, um, but in the, I mean, some of the richest monarchs that have ever lived have tried to hang on to their wealth. I was on a mission trip in Egypt, and I was in Cairo, and I had some extra time, and I was by myself, and I said, hey, I told a taxi driver, I said, hey, take me to the, uh, the Cairo Museum, because that's where they had King Tut's display. 
And they had this massive room dedicated just to King Tut. And it was breathtaking. I mean, when I saw that golden mask, his death mask in person, pictures don't do it justice. It's unbelievable. And then I looked at all the things that they found in his tomb. So I guess Tut didn't get to keep it after all. Because it's all in the Cairo Museum. And so all that wealth that he had gained and worked so hard to get and to keep, thinking that if it was buried with him, he got to take it with him to the afterlife, it got left behind. All the things we look for security in, other than Jesus, ultimately we leave it behind. Romance is the same way. You know, I, I know a lot of young men and women who are floating around in a sea of loneliness and despair. Problems like loneliness and insecurity that really only Jesus can cure. The love that you crave that maybe you're not, you didn't get from a parent or from others. That love you crave, it's, you get it from Jesus. The arms that you seek to be held by. Jesus' arms want to hold you, and he, I promise you, will never let go. That security that you crave, that can only be found in knowing Jesus. The significance that you're looking for, the praise of others, or being on top of the game, and that can only be found when you become a child of God's through Jesus. So what is it about this baby? He was the Messiah, and he came to die for your sins and my sins to reconcile us to holy God. You see, we're, we're separated from God because of our sins, and there's not a thing we can do about it. So Jesus did it for us. He came to remove that barrier, and he did so by dying in our place. And offering reconciliation with God as a free gift to anyone who would receive it. So many of you have been on a search like these wise men were. <clears throat> you, you didn't even know exactly what you were looking for. But for some reason a star led you to Jesus. You know, maybe you come with a lot of unanswered questions um, you see, if you listen to some scientists or maybe to some college professors, not all, they try to explain to you that life evolved from nothing. So let me get this straight, that nothing times nobody equals everything. Have I got that right? That takes a lot more faith to believe than to believe in a creative God. They believe that um, you come from nothing and that you're going to go back to nothing and that you'll just be buried and you'll waste away and become dust and that ultimately life has no meaning. And you say, that doesn't explain everything. I'm, I'm created for more. Maybe you have just really started worrying in the past few years. Uh, maybe you're worrying about the direction our country's headed. I'm, I'm worried about that. I'm concerned about that. Or maybe you're worried about the debt we have as a nation. I'm, I'm concerned about that. 
And, and I want to tell you, politics and politicians cannot solve the problems we've got as a nation. But Jesus can. The love and security and significance that we search for is in God himself, given to us through Jesus. Pascal said this, There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man and woman which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God, the creator, made known through Jesus Christ. St. Augustine wrote in his uh, confessions, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Let me tell you a little bit about my life and my journey. You know, my, my, as a kid, my life was dramatically impacted at the age of 12. Two events happened pretty close to each other. The first one was one of my buddies at church, we were the same age, on a camping church, a church camping trip, was drowned in a canoe accident on the lake. Man, that rocked my world. It's the first time I've known somebody my age to die. And then shortly after that, my dad died at the age of 38. And I, I tell you what, I just shut down. I mean, I, I went into a shell and I decided nobody's going to get close to me and nobody's going to touch me. I'm not going to go through that pain again. I'm not going to go through that hurt again. So I'm, I'm staying away. I, I, I was like that for like two years. And then at age 14, I started coming out of that shell. And, and you would think... <clears throat> that I would be very cautious and I'd be very careful about life, especially having a friend to die in a drowning accident. But it was weird. I went the opposite direction. I, be I became a daredevil. It, it was almost like I was daring death. It, it, it's almost like I had this crazy idea like, well, if I'm going to die young, I'm going to die doing something that's fun and thrilling. Well, how stupid is that? But I was 14. I remember at 14, I decided I got to do something different. So I went to a survival camp in the mountains outside of Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania. And, um, man, I did dangerous stuff. I went down this long, high zip line with no safety harness. That was dumb. I mean, if you fell, you were gone. I learned to mountain climb and repel. I really got into repelling because of the thrill of it. We'd find the highest cliffs we could, and we would repel down that. The only safety gear we had was safety gear that we made out of ropes. And, and uh, you know, your whole life was dependent on that rope. And it was a blast. I loved it. Uh, I went out in the wilderness and, and just learned to survive off the land. At age 14, I, I ate a rattlesnake. Tastes like chicken. <laughs> it was great, especially when you're hungry. And, um, and then at 16, I got my driver's license and my pilot's solo license. And I really went a little crazy. And, um, and a year later, I started flying aerobatic planes. Um, I started, in fact... And, and then, in very short order, 
my life got rocked again with four more deaths, high school buddies. One was a young kid. He was a couple of years younger than me, but he was pledging to get into our uh, our uh, service club, and I was president of our service club, and we always looked out for the pledges. I, I don't know what it was about my school, but we were a close school, and still are. I mean, I'm, I still have very close friends from high school, and we stay in touch with each other. And, uh, and this kid was killed in a motorcycle accident, just a freak accident. And in fact, two weeks ago, I was in High Point helping my mom move, and I happened to drive down the road, and I wasn't, didn't realize until I saw the spot, and I said, oh, that's where Roy died. And just all those emotions came flooding back. And then shortly after that, another church friend and school friend, we were the same age, he got into repelling like I did, and he was up in the mountains uh, with a friend repelling, and he miscalculated and hit a ledge that gave way, and he fell 70 feet to his death. And every time I went home after that, his mom would always come up to me at church and say, you know, every time I see you, I think about Ricky. And, you know, not, she wasn't blaming me for his death, but she just said, you know, every time I see you, uh, I think that Ricky would be your age, he'd be doing what you're doing. And, uh, and, and man, after about five years of that, I told mom, I said, man, I, I've got to avoid her. <laughs> that's, that's just tough to hear. And then another friend, he, like me, was learning to fly. And, and the day he was um, to go get his flight exam, you fly your plane to the, the uh, examiner. And his family had a farm. And so he flew his plane over his farm. All of his family was out there to cheer him on as he was flying to the main airport to meet with the FAA examiner. And he just miscalculated, and he flew too low, and he, he brought the plane up too fast, and he stalled. And the plane didn't have time to recover, and it crashed right in front of his family, and it killed him instantly. And then another friend in, in my same service club, there were a set of twins, and uh, we were all real close. And um, our service club, you could not drink or do drugs if you wanted to be in our club. We, we created a safe place for everybody. And this one twin came to me. He said, I'm, I'm struggling with drugs. You know, I, I mean, everybody in school knew I didn't do alcohol and I didn't do drugs. And they knew, but they also knew I was a safe person to talk to. And it was almost like I was practicing my spiritual gift even before I knew what a spiritual gift was. And, and so he came to me and shared with me what was going on. And I prayed with him and I talked to him and I tried to encourage him. And then shortly after that, he died from an overdose. So four friends, pretty short order, all died. You'd think that would make me stop my adrenaline rush. You'd think that would make me stop and say, I, I've got to... Um, i got to slow down. I'm, I'm being too dangerous. But for some strange reason, it drove me even further. I mean, I was searching. I knew Jesus. But I was, for some reason, I was searching for something. And I didn't know what it was. And maybe I just knew church. There were several days I should have easily died. And one I didn't know about until just uh, a month ago. I was 17 
and I had an adult friend who had a plane and we became buddies and, and Ron would take me up and teach me some aerobatic maneuvers. And one day he turned to me, he said, Hey, here's a set of keys to my plane. You can fly it anytime you want. Uh, just fill it up with gas when you're done. Now I'm a 17 year old punk kid and I just got the keys to this guy's little aerobatic plane. I was like, man, you're, one of us is crazy. <laughs> I know I am. I'm thinking you are now. And I, I'm sitting there going, that's like giving a 17-year-old who's got a speed problem a keys to a Mustang Cobra and say, go see how fast you can make it go. And, uh, you know, that, and I will tell you, I took advantage of it. I had, I had a friend named Mike, and um, he was a year younger than me, and he was learning to fly too. And and so one day, um, in the middle of school, I went up to Mike. I said, hey, the clouds are perfect for us to go play our little game. And what I'm talking about is, you know, I'm not talking about the dark clouds like the thunderstorm clouds. I'm talking about those big, white, fluffy clouds, you know, and you see images in them and that kind of stuff. It was one of those days, just these beautiful, white, big, fluffy clouds. And those things can go up for thousands of feet. And I said, so right after school, let's head to the airport. So right after school, we headed straight to the airport. And we got in my friend's plane and we took off. And we had this game we had created. We'd fly up to get on top of the clouds. And then those clouds, you know, there's always tunnels through them, open, open space. And so our game was we'd get up on top of the cloud, cut the engine, and then fly down through the tunnels. And, and if any of the cloud hit the plane, you lost points. And I want to tell you, that's better than any, any roller coaster ride Carowinds has. I mean, the thrill of that was amazing. And then when you popped out at the bottom of the cloud, it was just a rush. Highly illegal, but a rush. And when we did that for a while, and we had so much fun. And, uh, and then I turned and I looked at Mike. I said, let's see how many loops we can do before we get sick. I, how, I was stupid. And man, we started doing loops. And then on about loop number 16, I remember hearing a little thud in the plane. And I said, well, that doesn't sound right. Went ahead and did loop number 17. I heard the thud again. Now, if I said to Mike, I said, you know what? I don't want to get sick, so let's head back. And so we headed back, and I never thought anything else about it. Well, this past summer, I decided to get connected, reconnected with Mike, and I had his number, and I called him. I said, hey, Mike, this is Don. And we laughed, and we talked for about an hour. And then finally, Mike brought up our little day in the plane playing our game and all the loops. He said, yeah, that was a crazy day. And man, that was so weird about that plane after that happened. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you don't know about this? I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, he said, a friend of mine did the annual inspection on that plane after we had our adventure. It turned out that several of the struts and ribs in the wing had failed. That was the thump I was hearing. And the, and the, the um, struts or the whatever it is that hold the wings up, one of them had been stressed. Now, when a wing fails, you die. 
You don't survive with a wing missing on your plane. I mean, it could fall off. And, and this wasn't a metal-covered plane. It was a fabric-covered plane. And, and so I said, you mean to tell me that the wing was on the verge of failing? He said, yeah. He said, man, if we'd have done a couple more loops, it would have probably gone. And I, I said, Mike, we probably should have died that day. And Mike said, absolutely, no doubt. Wow, God was protecting us, and we had no idea. A year later, still living for the rush, still living for the, the adrenaline, God got a hold of me. You know, I thought I was a Christian. I mean, I, I thought I knew Jesus as my Savior. But I realized I was a CEO Christian. I was still in charge of my life. I had my salvation. I was going to go to heaven. But while I'm here on earth, I'm going to do my thing. And God confronted me about the lordship issue. He said, hey, you, you might know Jesus as your savior, but you don't know him as Lord. You're in charge of your life, and that just doesn't work. It doesn't work. And you're off trying to seek all these thrill things, and you're trying to draw, you know, whatever, you're hooked on this adrenaline. <clears throat> it doesn't work. And I've got a purpose, and I've got a plan for your life, but I am not going to tell you or reveal, reveal it or lead you in it until you settle on who's Lord of your life. And that, that day, that night, a Thursday night in November, as a freshman, I settled the deal. Jesus, here's the deed of my life. So I, I have you as Savior, but I need you as Lord. I need you as Lord of my life. And that changed everything. Absolutely changed everything. Second thing I want to say to you. What you need is found in Scripture. How do you find Jesus? You find him in Scripture. John 5, 39, listen to what Jesus said. He said, you search the Scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the Scriptures point to me. So when you study the Bible, when you read the Bible, it's going to point you to Jesus. So here's my invitation to you. My invitation to you is first, if you hadn't settled the salvation issue, God has provided for it. He's provided it through Jesus. And he says, you trust and you believe. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you, was buried and rose from the dead, and you accept that, Jesus said, hey, if anybody calls upon my name, they will be saved. You settle that salvation issue. But secondly, you need to settle the lordship issue. As a Christian, some of you have not done that yet. And you need to resign as the CEO of your life. And you need to say, Jesus, you're Lord. You're Lord of my life. You call the shots. I'm here to do what you want me to do. I want to tell you, had I not settled that, I have no doubts in my mind, I'd have been dead long, long ago. I would have pushed the envelope one time too many. 
Am I seeking that thrill? Settle the lordship issue. Give Jesus the deed of your life. And that will be the biggest thrill of your life. That is what will give you peace and comfort. That's what will give you confidence. That's what will satisfy your search. That is what gives you meaning when you wake up every single day. That today, the day is planned out because Jesus is Lord of my life. He already knows what's going to happen. He's going to lead me through it. He's set up some divine appointments. God's going to use me this day, today, because he's Lord. So I wonder how many of you believers need to resign as CEO of your life. I'm going to be here at the front. If you want to settle the salvation issue, praise God. I want to pray with you. I want to celebrate with you. The church wants to celebrate with you. But if you're already a believer, which is probably most of you, and you've not settled the lordship issue, I invite you to surrender, to resign of the CEO as the chairman of the board and come and give the deed of your life to Jesus. Say, my life belongs to you. You call the shots. And it'll be the biggest rush you'll ever have in your life. Let's pray.